This expert insight session was recorded via live webinar on the 29th of July, 2020. The topic was online CBT programs, treatment options during COVID-19. On the panel, we had Dr. Jan Orman, GP Services Consultant at the Black Dog Institute. Dr. Kathleen O'Moore, Clinical Psychologist and Senior Clinical Research Manager at the Black Dog Institute. And Dr. Sarah Barker, Clinical Psychologist and a Training Facilitator for the Black Dog Institute. Chairing this session was Dr. Carol Newell. Welcome to our Expert Insights podcast tonight. So we'll get started. Um, Before we do get started formally on the podcast, I just wanted to give my acknowledgement of country. Um, The Black Dog Institute would like to acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first people and traditional custodians. We value their cultures, identities, and continuing connection to our country, waters, kin, and community. And we pay our respects to elders past, present, and are committed to making a positive contribution to the mental health and well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across Australia. So tonight's topic is online CPT programs, treatment options um, during COVID-19. Um, our podcast has changed quite a bit since we went into COVID-19 lockdowns to varying um, degrees across the country in terms of the restrictions that we're facing. And so when we began to pivot the series into an online event, we started to really focus in on the new tools um, that we may be needing in primary and allied health um, to survive these restrictions. So. Um, one of the big topics that came up was online CBT programs. We sort of covered it um, just as a, you know, one of the topics of the digital tools, but we wanted to go more in depth um, today um, as one of the major tools that practitioners could be using. We know, for example, our colleagues in Victoria are dealing with the real scenario of doing face-to-face sessions with face masks, right? Um, And across the country, our immune-compromised clients, even without those restrictions, perhaps not being able to attend face-to-face, maybe they're struggling with telehealth and generally not being able to maintain that momentum in treatment despite the escalating stress like social isolation as a result of COVID-19. So online CBC, we thought, might offer an avenue to address some of these barriers. So tonight we're going to chat to our experts who have helped develop these programs as well as experts who have promoted its use and have used it themselves in clinical practice. And we're going to discuss what their experiences may have been like um, and what they have found useful. So I'm going to do a little bit of a roundtable and get everyone to introduce themselves and, you know, maybe in relation to what they know about this topic, what you do. Um, So we might start with Sarah Barker. So Dr. Sarah Barker. Okay, thank you so much, Carol. Um, I um, have started using e-mental health, probably um, an online CBT programs. I've used them more during COVID, but um, I worked in a school for many years. I led a counselling team um, of psychologists in the school, so I used them a lot with young people, the online CBT programs. I'm now working in private practice um, and working with children, young people and adults, and I find the online CBT great. It's been a really great adjunct to consolidate the work I do with clients. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me, and I also work at Black Dog Institute. Kathleen, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Yes, thanks, Carol, and hi, everyone. 
Um, so I'm working at the Black Dog Institute at the moment as a senior clinical research manager um, and I'm trained as a clinical psychologist. Um, so my first exposure really to online mental health programs was in private practice as quite a newly registered um, psychologist. And then I was able to work at the Clinical Research Unit for Anxiety and Depression at St Vincent's Hospital and a lot of the online programs that they developed that end up um, as This Way Up programs. And now at the Black Dog Institute, um, we are looking at online mental health programs and how they can be integrated into routine care, um, routine practice of health professionals. Thanks, Kathleen. And Dr Jan Orman. Hi. Thanks, Carol. I'm a GP. I've been a GP for a very long time. And for the last 25 years or so, I have worked in a university health service. I have to describe myself as a GP with a special interest in mental health. And of course, the university health service was a good place for me to be, given the demographic there. And it was also a good place for me to try some of the online treatment programs that are available. I also work as a uh, professional education facilitator at Black Dog Institute, and in that role, I have another arm, and that is designing and developing and delivering all the education programs for the Black Dog Institute's arm of the e-mental health in practice project, which is in fact a project, a federal government-funded project designed to help people become familiar with and understand the online treatment programs and understand how to incorporate those into their day-to-day clinical work. Thanks, Jan. So, Jan, we might actually start with you while we're on to e-mental health prac and the fact that you've been trying to introduce some of those digital tools. You're particularly familiar with the different types of digital mental health support that's available for use by primary and allied health practitioners. Can you tell us a little bit about the different types of online CPT programs and what they offer? Do you have a favourite? I think we have to define digital mental health before we get going. Um, when, as it's used, e-mental health or digital mental health is, uh, is a broad term that includes online treatment programs, but also includes websites for psychoeducation and apps that you might use for symptom control. I think today we're going to confine ourselves to talking about online treatment programs. And there are a number of different online treatment programs. The first Australian evidence-based online treatment program was Mood Gym, which came out of ANU and was launched, believe it or not, in 2001 with a lot of evidence to support its use, particularly and young people for whom it was designed. Um, But subsequently, there's been a a lot of evidence from around the world in other age groups and in conditions other than just resilience building. The name, as it suggests, uh, is means that the program is a gymnasium for your mood. It helps with resilience building, but it's also good in the treatment for um, anxiety and depression, mild to moderate anxiety and depression. But since then, there have been a range of other programs developed um, for specific diagnoses and for transdiagnostic purposes. And most of them have no guidance, but there's a, there's a program called MindSpot that comes out of Macquarie University that actually offers clinician guidance to the users, and it's free of charge. So, I mean, there's a lot out there that's worth looking into. There are, and 
Each of your patients may require something different, but the best way to start is to get to know something really well and uh, advise people for whom it's appropriate to use it. Did you ask me what my favourite was? Yeah. Are you allowed to? Are you allowed to declare a favourite, or do you love all your online CBT program equally? I'm probably not allowed to declare a favourite, but it's worth mentioning that the This Way Up suite of programs from CRUFAD, that's St Vincent's Hospital and the University of New South Wales, probably has the biggest body of evidence to support its use. But it does cost fifty nine dollars to the user for each of the the diagnosis specific programs, but the other one that's unique is Black Dog Institute's own My Compass program, which is unique in that it's not linear. In other words, you can go in and do whatever module you want to do when in whatever order you like, whereas all the other programs are linear and you have to go through a bit of CBT training before you get onto the things that are relevant to your symptoms. So for a lot of practitioners that and a lot of users, that ability to go in and look immediately at sleep or stress or or, you know, whatever problem is most pressing at the moment is a good thing about my compass. So there you are. I have showed my colours. <laughs> so we might turn to Kath now because, Kath, you are our researcher on the panel. And, um, you know, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your journey because you're a clinical psychologist and you've journeyed into researching online CBT programs. You, when we first spoke, you talked about being a little bit dubious, you know, about online programs when you first started. Um, what have been some of your most surprising discoveries? Yes, Carol, I think when I was um, a newly registered psychologist working in private practice, I didn't really know a lot about online therapy and um, internet cognitive behaviour therapy programs. Um, so really, I was unsure because I didn't really know how they were developed. I didn't know the content of them. I didn't know how they were evaluated at the time. But um, I was seeing a lot of um, clients that were bulk billing, and I found them really useful for those clients who could continue to um, learn skills when they could no longer afford to pay for sessions outside of what was provided um, through Medicare. So that was my kind of initial exposure to um, internet CBT or um, ICBT. Um, and then during my doctorate, I was fortunate to complete a placement at CRUFAT, as Jan said, and then work there later. And that was when I first really was um, in kind of had exposure to the scientific literature, the, the large evidence base that now exists on the efficacy um, and the effectiveness of online programs. Um, and I was really lucky to be involved in a lot of that research. So I got to see how the programs were developed and how they were um, evaluated over time. And by guiding through a lot of the people through the programs, I kind of had that one-on-one uh, -on -one connection where I saw how the programs benefited different types of people. Um, so whether that was someone that was older with kind of chronic conditions, um, people that you know, we're living in rural or remote areas, um, even with mining jobs, people that um, couldn't see a face-to-face -face clinician during the day um, because of their long work hours or looking after children, um, or maybe they didn't want to see someone face-to-face -face or couldn't afford it. Um, so that was really great experience for me, kind of getting to understand 
um, ICBT programs. Um, and I really brought a lot of that experience with me to Black Dog Institute and a lot of the um, work we're doing here on di digital mental health programs and integrating them into routine care. It sounds like you were seeing research participants that we sometimes really see in traditional RCTs, right? They're the ones who can show up, the really high functioning ones, and can't afford to come in face to face. You were actually accessing the individuals who may never turn up at a university. They're out in a rural, remote region, and they're actually checking in and being able to connect with those individuals and seeing how CBT is actually working. Yes, I was really surprised that one of the studies we were looking at was, you know, looking at ICBT for depression in people with osteoarthritis and really, um, you know, people that have chronic issues where they couldn't even really move around to get to um, maybe a face-to-face -face therapist. So it really highlighted how that mode of de delivery can overcome a lot of barriers. So, Sarah, um, you use CBT programs um, in your private practice. Can you tell us a little bit about how online CBT programs have complemented your practice as a yeah. clinical psychologist and which online CBT programs have you used with clients and found useful? Yeah, okay. So I might start, probably I first started using them in schools with young people and I found them particularly useful there. So this was secondary school students um, because often a student might just come in for one session. So if I had a program, if I knew that anxiety and depression were the symptoms that they were experiencing and I knew there was a program like Brave, which I knew well and felt comfortable and confident to recommend, um, I could set them up with that. I might never see them again, but they had something in their hand that they could continue with. Um, and if I got to meet the parents too, I could recommend the parent modules to the parents. In um, private practice, which I'm working in now, I actually find, um, yeah, a lot of the programs excellent. Um, the This Way Up programs I'm probably particularly familiar with and um, I have a penchant for them. Um, so the, I find particularly with clients with OCD, um, as Kath was saying, often people will have 10 sessions that they're able to access per year, whether that's bulk billing or through Medicare, um, and they might not have the funds to access further sessions. So if I have um, an adolescent um, or an adult with OCD, that's not going to be enough sessions for me to do all that I want to do with them, particularly if a person perhaps has insomnia and OCD. So what I might do um, is do some pre-work with them, um, explain the uh, CBT online program to them and link them in the initial sessions to those as well. So we might do some initial work together on insomnia very briefly. I might introduce them to the This Way Up for Insomnia um, course, for example. So that's kind of, I'll check in about that. I'll always follow up and check in on how they're going with it. Um, and then the CB, I'll start doing some of the exposure um, response prevention with them for the OCD. But what I find is if I link them in early and can consolidate um, the work we're doing with the This Way Up, it really reaps better clinical results. They get better outcomes more quickly. And um, then because they're already familiar with it, because we've had 10 sessions using it, when they do finish up the sessions with me, they're able to continue with that and be comfortable with that and um, continue to work on that. And I think the ability to revise the sessions too is very good so that they can consolidate those concepts, particularly for anxious clients too. 
It sounds like you're almost like using it as an adjunct tool, right? Totally. That doesn't feel overwhelming. You've got a client that's coming in presenting with a lot of difficulties and sometimes yeah. you're thinking, where do I start? And, and then right. you've got, you know, maybe we'll put sleep onto this online program and then we yeah. can work on the OCD, which requires more of that face-to-face. That's it's from, yes, go on, Jan, sorry. Yeah, that's exactly it, right. It's probably worth mentioning that the This Way Up sleep module is actually free of charge. It's not one of the ones that you have to pay for. And I wanted to ask actually what you thought of what I do, which is if somebody's going to a psychologist but can't get an appointment for a little while, I'll get them to go online and get some basic CBT training so that by the time they get to the psychologist, they know what they're getting themselves in for and they know. So they've done a little bit of work, which will save some of the session time for the psychologist that then the psychologist work will just be revision. And I just wondered whether you two psychologists, three psychologists yeah. thought that was a good idea. I love it when clients come with some pre-preparation, Jan. So for me, that's because I really see those 10 sessions as really precious. Sometimes people have more, but if they've got 10, they're really precious. So any pre-work they can do and background familiarity they can have, that's just gold, I find, because then we're speaking the same language when we come in. Um, So it's great. Yeah. It sounds like you're making this really important point as well, which is a lot of clients complain, I've got to wait a really long time to get in and see a site. It's such a great idea to be able to go, look, the online program, let's get you started if you're going to wait rather than just have this blank space for two months, not doing anything and just potentially getting worse, just waiting for your preferred psychologist. Can I just say the other place it works too is the people who really don't want to go and see somebody face-to-face because they're scared of what it means. Will these people read, this person be able to read my mind or or will they diss my mother or, you know, the kinds of things that people are afraid um, psychologists can do. So if they get exposed to some online CBT up front, they'll understand that, that the sorts of things they're afraid of aren't really what psychologists do. So that's been effective for me in the past as well. Sounds like it's a bit of a taster of what therapy actually looks like and giving them a sense that sometimes it's really about very much learning skills um, rather than this really, you know, scary depiction that we see in the media and in movies as well. Um, I've got somebody saying, look, I think until the end of September, the fee is waived um, if clinicians recommend this way up program for the clients. I believe that is correct, Jan. I don't know, Kathleen, if we want to to say something about the fees at the moment for, for this way up. Yeah. As far as I was aware that the fees were being waived um, as part of um, during COVID. Um, I so think that finished at the end of last month. It did. It was 30th of June. Yeah. yeah, and now it requires a special request from the clinician for the fees to be mm-hmm. waived. So mm-hmm. um, that that happened automatically for three months. It was gen- very generous of this way up mm-hmm. to do that, mm-hmm. um, and they actually found themselves flooded wow. with users during the time that it was free, which. There's a message in that. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. And look, 
it, it, there is a fee, but I will, you know, for the full suite of CBT for $60, I think it's mm. pretty a lovely, you know, it's, it's not, <laughs> not as high as what we were paying for that face-to-face. Yeah, absolutely. Now, don't be misled though. Every program costs $60. It's not $60 for every program. Uh, yeah, you, you, there are 11 different programs and each one of those costs $60, which is why it's a good idea to choose wisely in the, at the outset. And, I, and I, I think too for people to be aware that four, three or four of those are free, the student wellbeing one, the insomnia one, the introduction to mindfulness, and there's one more, Jan, which is Stress simple. management. That's right, yeah. So I'll often start people off with them so that they can get familiar with the style of the program and then if they are comfortable with that, they can move to one of the paid options if one of them is perhaps more appropriate. And if they decide they don't like it, they can either ask you for another recommendation or go to the Head to Health website and see what else Head to Health recommends for their particular condition. Absolutely. Head to Health is such a great resource as well because it just covers all the, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Jen, uh, it's sort of like the government recommended kind of um, tools that are available. Is that correct? Well, it's a a portal that that is a a repository of all the online tools that are available. So if you go to Head to Health and uh, click on Sam the chat box, bot uh, and tell Sam what ails you, Sam will lead you to the appropriate resources for someone uh, that's in a situation like yours. Okay. So, um, so we it's clear we all love the online programs, the CBT programs. Sarah's used them in private practice. But one of the things I often hear in terms of clinicians being a bit dubious about recommending them or even just from the general population as well as this idea that, look, online programs don't work as well as face-to-face programs. So I'm going to turn now to our, our resident researcher, what is the evidence on efficacy for online CBT programs? Do they only work for your really mild cases for anxiety, depression, um, or is the evidence starting to emerge that they the efficacy is up there with face-to-face? Yes, Carol, I think um, I would definitely say that the evidence base is not only um, has emerged now <laughs> mm. in terms of there being a very strong evidence base, um, for the effectiveness of ICBT. Um, there's been, over the last decade, a number of meta-analyses that have actually looked at ICBT compared to um, face-to-face therapy and um, medication as well. So that we, we do now know now that it is um, highly effective. Um, and one of the kind of misconceptions, I think, has in the research world has been that, well, perhaps you know, maybe they've been shown to be comparable because the sample um, in the ICBT group have more mild or moderate symptoms. Um, But research has actually shown that's not the case. When we look at the research studies of the participants that are in those ICBT studies, um, they are actually, you know, just as complex as the participants that are in the the face-to-face studies. So we know that, um, you know, people with mild, moderate and severe symptoms are accessing online therapy programs and that they can actually um, benefit from them because if we think about it, um, if we have more severe symptoms, we have more to gain in a lot of ways. Um, You know, we have 
a further way to go if you could say it like that in terms of our kind of symptom improvement. Um, so we do know that people with more of those severe symptoms are accessing ICBT programs and that they can benefit from them. Um, I think it's always important to mention that um, the research has shown and we do know that guided ICBT is more effective, um, especially when we're considering people that may have more complex symptoms symptoms or severe symptoms we need to kind of be looking at each client um, in an individual way and considering um, what would be most beneficial for them um, so we might be looking at blended approaches of guiding someone through ICBT. The definition of guided is interesting isn't it it doesn't necessarily mean the kind of guidance that you get from MindSpot from someone at the end of the phone at the clinic it may be the guidance that you get from your GP or your psychologist or your psychiatrist so so guidance wherever you get it from and whatever form it comes in will make that ICBT work better. And the other thing that I want to want to pick up that Kathleen said was that you can benefit from using ICBT. You don't necessarily get cured of what ails you, but everybody, no matter what their level of severity, can get some benefit from it. I think that's worth keeping in mind. You know, there is a real fear, though. We know that they work now. And so the other argument comes into play, right? So the first argument I hear from clinicians is, oh, well, they don't work as well. And we're starting to find out that they do work and people do glean that benefit um, from using ICBT. And the flip side now is people saying, look, I have this real fear of promoting online programs because they'll take over that face-to-face. And then we will just, you know, have these big centers where it's just running these automated programs and and it's going to take over uh, face-to-face sessions for psychologists um, and psychiatrists. Um, and what, what will we say to that, Jan? What do you think? Because this is a fear I hear a lot from different clinicians in having this real reluctance to incorporate um, ICBT or even recommend them as they, they see them as a competitor. Look, I understand the logic behind that fear, but really in the end it's an irrational fear because the need for psychological support is greater than any psychological workforce is ever going to reach. And if we can fix the people who are fixable by just simple CBT with an online program, that leaves psychologists available for people with more severe or more complex problems. That, that definitely need the face-to-face instead of or ideally as well as the ICBT programs. So I don't think anybody's going to run out of people to see anytime soon. Absolutely. Is that your take on it too, Sarah? Because yeah. um, you've always had this really open approach towards, you know, incorporating ICBT and online programs. Yeah, yeah, I would very much agree with Jan. I think, um, yeah, it's it's not a competitor at all. Um, for some people, I really think it actually even suits them um, better as well. Um, some people might never come to face-to-face, but it's a really comfortable option for um, people who, yeah, might have some fears or, you know, a discomfort about coming to us. But no, um, not a competitor. I think at the moment during COVID, um, I'm not sure about in other states, but I know in Melbourne, most APS psychologists on the uh, website listing are booked out at the moment and I've had people trying to get in to someone and really pleading and saying, you know, everyone I've called hasn't. So I think, yeah, um, particularly during periods of high stress like the pandemic, um, they're just 
yeah, such a necessary option, but always, always I think they're, um, and I don't think they, I really think they add to our work that we can do and add to the effectiveness of our work. And really our goal as clinicians is to get the best outcomes for the people that we work with. And if that means, and they're open to um, ICBT, then that, that is the best way forward. Yeah. I was just going to say what may happen, and this might not make everybody happy, is that psychologists might lose their easy patients. <laughs> that that was what happened to GPs when when bulk billing clinics opened. The the GPs that weren't doing quick bulk billing sessions were were left with just the more difficult consultations. So that might be the downside. If that is a downside, I quite like I quite like the more challenging cases as well. So, you know, there's like a kind of the glass half empty and half full, isn't it? Yep. Are there specific presentations or client types that fit online CBT a lot better? So, you know, in terms of our our colleagues listening in, um, they might not want to recommend everyone to ICBT, but are there some beyond just the fact that, you know, they might be living quite far away or they're on a waiting list? What are specific presentations that you think might be particularly suited to, to online um, CBT programs? I might do a little bit of a roundtable here because I think, you know, you're probably already thinking about some clients that, that might really suit. We might start with Sarah. What do you think? Um, um, yeah, okay. So I suppose a few things come to mind for me. So I think um, mild to moderate symptoms is really ideal but also severe but mild to moderate is probably um a really great fit um i think people who are tech savvy um so i I find a lot of young people are really keen to try that and they like it especially if the graphics are good the graphics matter (laughs) Um, go this way up (laughs) yeah yeah well the the graphics actually matter a lot because some people will be turned off by the graphics and i have to then find another program for them Um, but yeah people who are, are tech savvy and comfortable using that I also find um, a lot of more introverted patients I find can prefer online because even therapy can be a bit draining maybe sometimes to have to leave your home, go outside, you know, sit with someone um, to face-to-face. And sometimes too um, I find clients on the spectrum with ASD will be quite comfortable working with an online program at their own pace and doing it in their own time Um yeah, there's no eye contact, there's, you know, so that can be a really good fit I found too. In fact, I remember one young man that came in to me and he said to me, um, you know, he said, I don't really like being meeting with you face-to-face. He said, can you give me any books or any online programs? I said, well, actually, <laughs> I can. And then he would just have very short sessions with me. We'd have about a seven-minute catch-up. He would let me know what he's doing and he actually made great inroads on what he was doing because it was such a better fit for him than face-to-face. I find it very hard that anybody would not want to see you face-to-face, Sarah. Oh, no. (laughs) He was very frank right from the start. (laughs) There we go. That rare person. No, no, no. no. 0.01%. What about you, Jen? Have you found like a specific patient that you've seen that might be particularly suited to online program and, and not suited? Well, it's really hard to tell, you know, from mm. superficial appearances. Mm. Whatever you do, I'd like to make a plea on behalf of older people. Don't assume 
assume that someone older is not going to take to it because a lot of people in their retirement have taken up technology in a big way. So you really need to check it out. And there are actually, believe it or not, a few young people who are not interested in doing anything online. I'm not sure that I've met any of them, but no, that's not true. I have met some. Um, so, so age is not something to make assumptions about. And the other thing, the other place that I've found it most useful is one step before the people with mild to moderate disorders, the people who have sub-syndromal levels of disorder who are, or who are in vulnerable groups. So someone with a strong family history of anxiety or depression, someone who's got past experience of trauma or bullying, who hasn't got anxiety, depression, PTSD, whatever, whatever themselves, but have, their, because of their experience or their family history, got risk factors for development. It. Those people could really, really benefit from learning some CBT skills and strategies to help prevent the development of mental health problems. And so I'm quite keen on prevention and I think that that's a really good place for online programs. That is such a good point, Jan, because, you know, we can't, like Medicare doesn't cover prevention. Um, there's no just there's just not, not a lot of options. And ICBT is such a great option, isn't it, for that prevention. We're seeing that mild stress and we've got these risk factors. Let's get you online just trying out some of these strategies. Kath, what about you? Uh, I'd love to hear from you, actually, about, you know, clients that might be suitable, but uh, maybe you have some insight of clients that aren't suitable because in your research trials, you would have had to make sure that some clients don't enter that ICBT program, right? Yeah, that's right, Carol. So I would completely agree with both Sarah and Jan. So in terms of the research side of things, we know that there's the strongest evidence base um, for people with anxiety and depression um, and for people that the programs are often designed for people with more mild to moderate symptoms and tested in that environment. Um, and I, I do want to agree with Jan that um, even, even in my experience of working on studies with older adults with kind of chronic um, health issues, that was something that really surprised me how much they really took to online programs and really loved it. And it was something that they could um, do with their day, you know, and um, especially when they had chronic health issues that made kind of getting around more difficult. Um, it was something that was really exciting for them and they were really engaged. Um, so in terms of, you know, the research kind of evaluation um, of online programs, we do often um, sometimes have eligibility criteria for, um, and we might not include people that have um, high levels of suicidality or psychosis or substance abuse or dependence, um, just because of the complexity of those presentations and the, the benefit that they would gain from seeing someone face-to-face. So they are always considerations and I know that health professionals would always take it, you know, on a case-by-case -case basis um, of what would really benefit that client. But online programs um, kind of really, for a lot of um, clients, I think it's good to not assume that they might not be interested and ask them if it's something that um, they would like to have a look at, you know, because we might even be surprised ourselves um, of the people that would be interested in it and may benefit from it. 
I think the important message you've got to give them when you recommend an online program is that you're not recommending it in preparation for abandoning them. You're actually going to continue to see them while they're using the online program. Absolutely. Um, Kath, do they, so a a big question I have in terms of the online program is, you know, we, with face-to-face, we sometimes already struggle with clients being able to stick to the program. Um, and what are the attrition rates for online CBT? Because that's another argument. It's like, oh, yeah, people log in and then they kind of quit halfway or they just kind of check it, you know, check in and then they leave. What's the attrition rates? Do we, do we see you know, people sticking to online programs? Yeah, I think that that would probably surprise a lot of people in terms of um, it is a major concern, obviously, for us when we're seeing people face-to-face, and it is a concern with ICBT, especially um, programs that are not guided um, because that does really require a lot of motivation um, for the person doing it in their own time. Um, So, Really, when we look at attrition um, or dropout, it's every single study <laughs> often um, defines it in a different way. But what we do know overall is that in the real world, actually the attrition rates are quite similar um, for face-to-face therapy and guided CBT programs. Um, so obviously in the research world, the um, dropout rates are less because it's a much more controlled environment and we're kind of um, doing it in a more intense um, way. Um, But in the real world, um, there's a lot of similarity there. Um, And again, I'll always keep coming back to, we do know that um, a program that has some type of guidance, like Jan said, we're actually, the research is actually showing this may only be a very small you know, um, 10 to 15 minute kind of check-in may not even be a therapeutic um, guidance. We do know that that would um, help with attrition. Yeah, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Kath, I believe that This Way Up did some research too that showed that the people who paid were stuck to the program better than the people who didn't pay but were using the same program. Is that correct? Yes, my memory when I was working there is that that was actually one of the arguments for um, having a fee for the um, courses, that it really, um, what would you say, kind of um, engaged the client and motivated the client in their own recovery and um, engaged them from the start with the program. Um, Similar to when you see a face-to-face therapist, you pay for a service um, and yeah, that was some research that um, I think was part of the rationale for having a very small cost for their um, online programs. Absolutely. Now we have a question in the in the Q and A box, which is actually your next question on my piece of paper here, Sarah. Which is, how do you go about encouraging clients to use an online CBT program? So, anonymous attendee here has asked, any tips for engaging someone who doesn't look at any online course suggestions you've made? Would you bring it into the course? Uh, would you bring the course into session somehow? What What have been your What are some of your strategies to get somebody to even log on online? Um, so, um, yeah, so a few things. So first of all, I get really familiar, anything I'm going to recommend, I get really, really familiar with myself and I kind of know as back to front as I can, um, so that I've got 
so that I feel comfortable with any questions they've got. Um, I would, so often I'll recommend it first. I'll provide the, I'll introduce it. I'll provide the rationale for it and I'll let them, I'll explain what I can see the benefits could be and how it can work as an adjunct and the results I've got with people who do both, who do the face-to-face and that is an adjunct. So I think like kind of get some buy and engage them in that idea of this, this could be really good for you. You want to get um, some, you want to get strong wellbeing and this is a really great path to doing so. Um, I will often perhaps a first session, um, particularly with the free courses, um, go through perhaps part of a session um, to show them what it looks like, to show them the graphics, um, to let them ask any questions about how to engage with it or what they do or the different parts of it. And I find um, spending a little bit of time doing that often does help with the take-up um, and I will always, always revisit it um, in the session as part of my homework check um, so that, yeah, so that it doesn't fall off um, and not get used or that there's not any follow-up. I think that follow-up and that interest in how they're going with it is really important. And any questions, any struggles they're having too or ways to overcome them too. So, yeah, that's that's really that's really important. And I find take-up is then better. No, no one's going to do it if you hand them a post-it note with the no, URL written no, on it. not at in all. Fact, in fact, I find that I need to show them what it looks like on my, my desktop and actually, if I've got time, go through the process of registering them on on the my desktop or, better still, on my, their phone. If they can open it on their phone, then they've got a record of the URL in their their websites opened record on their phone and that there's no excuse that they lost the piece of paper or whatever. But it's that familiarising process in the room with you, with you to guide them about where to go next. That's important. Now, for busy GPs, um, it's actually quite useful to have your, your nurse guide them through the registration process. And there's always a questionnaire at the beginning of all these programs. Kath, I think that that questionnaire is in order to, to sort them. It uses an algorithm to sort them into which program to use and to make sure they're safe to use the programs. Is that right? Yeah. So they'll always have a registration process and a questionnaire to, to um, answer. And if you practice nurse, if you haven't got time, if you practice nurse, and guide them through that process, then they're already registered before they leave the building. And that's a key to engagement as well. Absolutely. And and it sounds like, look, we're, we're talking a lot about this way up, but what I love about it is that you can prescribe it. So as a clinician, you can hop in there and you've prescribed this, this treatment, right? And hopefully you can sit down and walk them through it, but you can actually figure out which module they're up to like you can actually track whether they've done it because you get this little email that says, look, you know, your client's completed session two, um, which is fantastic. And if not, you can kind of track whether they've been doing some of that work in between the, the face-to-face sessions. It's important to remember that in order to track the patients that you refer to this way up, you've actually got to register as a referring clinician. So you go to the clinicians part of the This Way Up website and register, and then you can type in the details of the people that you refer and easily go back and with a single click you can find out whether they've done anything or not and what their scores are after each lesson or before each lesson so you can track them nicely. 
No, I was just going to make some remark about the other programs being good too. <laughs> but it's just that this way I've got this clinician tracking facility. Absolutely. Which is mm. It's not to neglect somewhere, somewhere like MindSpot, for example. I've heard some remarkable feedback from individuals who were so ambivalent about seeing a psychologist and they worked through the MindSpot program and just found it so useful that they then followed up to make sure they checked in on their mental health even though they were doing so much better it really reduced that stigma around just checking in with the psychologist having had that insight that preview into what it looks like so you know it's really helped there as well and so, carol if i can just tell a story about mindspot i don't know if you're aware but mindspot has got a ptsd program now before you all recoil and say how can you possibly treat ptsd online i tell you that I have sent a very, very disturbed patient to the PTSD program from MindSpot with a little bit of prefacing that, hey, this is not going to cure you, but it is going to help you manage your symptoms. That's what the aim of such a program uh, is. And my patient, who was very disturbed, as all of you clinicians can imagine someone with PTSD can get, um, really benefited enormously from it, more than any book she'd ever read about read about managing her, her flashbacks and her other symptoms, that somehow or other the program from MindSpot just crossed her threshold. So it's worth thinking about these things with complex patients because just using them to manage specific aspects of their difficulties is a worthwhile consideration. Absolutely. Now, just to correct me if I'm wrong, Jan, but I believe that MindSpot is a little bit more linear and it's cyclical, right? You kind of have to wait for the yeah, program to yeah. start. You sometimes have to wait two weeks for it, for the lessons to start, and it's five lessons over eight weeks for all of the different programs in MindSpot. Yeah, so it's a little bit more linear, a little bit more structured, mm-hmm. and there is also mm-hmm. that guidance as well. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Can okay. we just re- reassure David that this way up does recognise allied mental health professionals as uh, referring clinicians? So yes, mental health social workers can ref- become referrers to this way up. <laughs> we do have this other question, and I'm not sure if if any of us will want to try and uh, answer in the chat box. Is <laughs> is there any concern that Medicare bulk billing programs will be reduced in favour of online programs? It'd be a shame for low income patients who would benefit from in person sessions to lose access to them. I've got an answer to that. It's no. There's no concern whatsoever. The APS is an incredibly powerful organisation <laughs> and they are not going to let that happen. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. It's a common yeah. concern. It, it is, is a, a common, common concern, concern, but I think it's very, very unlikely mm. um, that anything like that is going to happen. Absolutely. Okay, so we have uh, answered that. Two, yes. two things I just want to pop in, um, Carol. I wasn't registered as a clinician for this way up for some time. I used to just refer. I've reaped enormous benefits by registering. I didn't realise. I thought that might be a bit more involved or I might have to do a whole lot more. Instead, it's actually been fabulous to get access to those results. So I do encourage people recommending it to register as a clinician. It's easy, um, it's free, and it's um, you know gives you great access to familiarity. Um, and the other thing, talking about the linear programs, the non-linear program I love is My Compass. Yes. Um, and 
the ability for people to dip in and out to different sections and not have to follow a structure, I think that um, is really great for anxiety and depression too. And I've had lots of people give really good feedback about my compass as well. Um, so that's you're just mentioning the linear programs, the non-linear one, that's beautiful, I think, and lovely and flexible too, depending on people's needs. Fantastic. Now, Kath, you know, what's the future in terms of the research horizon for you? We've talked about some of these great programs and you're right in the thick of the, you're at the vanguard of the innovations <laughs> in online CBT. So can you tell us a little bit about what your research plans are with Professor Jill Newby at the Black Dog Institute and how we can help? Yes, definitely, Carol. So I guess, um, Sarah, I'm glad you brought up my compass. Um, you know, within the Black Dog Institute, that is, you know, really our kind of flagship um, digital mental health program. And it has a really great modular approach. Like Jan has said previously, she'll often kind of select modules that she's using with clients to support what she's doing with them. Um, so I'm working with Jill Newby here um, within the Institute, and we're looking at um, an online therapy program, My Compass, and ways in which we can integrate it into routine care. Um, so we are looking at um, how could we find out from health professionals how they use online um, programs currently and also how would they like to use them you know what would be the ideal because as we've talked about there's MindSpot and there's this way up programs and my compass at the moment is um, self-guided in a sense but a lot of people can use it with their their patients as well so we would love to hear from any health professionals um, about their experiences with online programs, including My Compass, how they use it with their patients or their clients day to day. And we'd also love to hear ideally how they would like to use it um, because you know, we know that um, clinicians are using online programs in a variety of different ways and we're quite keen to find out if we can support health professionals more in the way that they use online programs like My Compass. Um, so we're conducting that research um, at the moment, um, Jill Newby and I, and we are really um, hoping to hear from any listeners here or any health professionals um, and the way that they can get connected is through our Black Dog Institute community of practice. Um, so I know um, Jan has a lot more experience in this area, but if they go on to the blackdoginstitute.org.au forward slash COP for community of practice, they can find out more information about that community um, that can support them in a number of ways, but we will be posting information about this research that we'll be doing um, within that community. And when you go to the community of practice, you may just recognise a few of the names of the people that are talking incessantly on the community. <laughs> <laughs> and we've also got a few slides here. I don't know if any of these um, apply to what... Um, Kath was talking about, but we've got, you know, visit our website. We've got a, a few resources to support you. You can also follow us as well. I'm just trying to find the next slide. Um, we've got the 10, the Essential Network, as well as Mind Compass, and also the Black Dog Institute online clinic. And you were talking about the COP as well. That's how we get um, COP community of practice. That's how we get in contact uh, with Kath in terms of giving you some feedback as to how we use these online tools. Is that correct? 
Yes, we'll be promoting it via um, Black Dog Institute's social media channels as well. So on Facebook um, and through other, you know, social media, um, Twitter accounts that we have um, and on the website. Um, so really um, there'll be a variety of ways that we'll be letting health professionals know when we are starting to kind of seek that information through online surveys and interviews and um, workshops creating um, solutions that might help them with using online programs in their day-to-day -day practice. Um, so they can connect with us via the Black Dog Media social media channels um, and they can sign up to the community of practice as well. Um, so we'll be sharing lots of information about the research um, on both of those channels. Fantastic. Now, to end with, I'd like to turn back to Jan now because I've got our GPs listening in, our allied health practitioners, and maybe, um, and I can think back to a time when I was like this as well, a little bit ambivalent. I'm like, I've heard about this way up. I've heard about MindSpot. Where do I start? Do you have any tips about um, where to get started first? Which tool, where do I, what do I land on? It's feeling a bit overwhelming. There's a lot out there. Jan, what are your tips for the GP or the psychologist looking to get started here? Well, I just put some some URLs in the chat box that might be helpful, the URL of the MPRAC pledge of the Black Dog Institute website. I've been beavering away there since 2013, producing all sorts of resources to help people get involved in, in using online resources. Um, so um, you'll find not only... Uh, a bunch of, of uh, videos and webinars to watch. We're coming up to our 42nd webinar in the, from the MPRAC team. And each of those webinars addresses a particular topic and looks at what online resources might be useful for those. Have a look at the hoarding webinar if you're interested, or even the chronic pain webinar that we did uh, not so long ago, which talks at length about the This Way Up chronic pain program, which is something worth knowing about. Uh, so, what I would recommend that if you've not been doing any of this before is that you get to know one program. Now, find a program that looks appealing to you, either by looking at the literature on the, the um, Black Dog website or by doing the six-module, um, what do you call it, an um, ALM, um, which is accredited by all the GP colleges and which non-GPs can get accreditation for as well. That's a that's a, a six-hour modular learning program that will acquaint you with all the basic online programs uh, that are around. Um, that's a great place to go as well. But but from a practical point of view, get to know one thing. Get to know one thing really well, be it the This Way Up suite or what MindSpot has to offer or what Mental Health Online, which comes from Swinburne University of Technology, has to offer, or even, dare I say, get to know my compass really well. <laughs> and It's right on the screen, guys. We yeah, and start <laughs> by recommending that to to people and just seeing what kind of a response that you get. Use the tricks that we've been talking about to introduce it to them, to encourage their engagement, and as best you can, integrate it into the therapy that you're providing with them face-to-face. -face. 
the other two URLs on the on the screen might be interesting to you too. Somebody in the chat box just mentioned the online clinic. Now, the online clinic is totally free and anonymous. It's a service provided by Black Dog Institute. It consists of a number of different questionnaires um, which provide diagnostic information. Now, your patient can access the, the online clinic easily for themselves. This is something worth doing when they ring up for an appointment, but you you want them to get some diagnostic information before they come. They get the results in a, a easily digestible format of all the, the questionnaires that they've done, and they can print it out and bring it with them when they come to see you. So you've got the results of the the. PHQ-9, stop me if I get these letters wrong. I'm not very good at it. The, <laughs> the audit C, the the, um, the bipolar screening test, the whole range of, of tests that they can do and get the results from and bring you those results before, uh, uh, you know, at their first consultation if that's appropriate. And the other thing that I want to mention is the essential network, or otherwise known as 10. What's the L doing there, Carol? I don't think that belongs. No, it doesn't. 10 is a part of the Black Dog Institute website. So it's a page on the website, but it's also an app that's been um, developed with money from the federal government uh, as part of the COVID effort. And it's specifically designed to help health practitioners of all kinds support their own mental health during COVID. So it's got everything from resources that you can you can use for yourself that are around telehealth or working from home or managing the kids while you're working from home, everything from that to where to get peer support. So it's linked in with the hand-in-hand -hand peer support network on to where to get professional help from mental health skilled GPs or psychiatrists. So it's got a whole range of things. It's free to download from wherever you get your apps um, and and you'll find that it's it's um, increasingly as we add more and more resources to it it's going to be a very useful thing to have at your fingertips so that's just to explain those three urls that are there on the screen Absolutely. And, you know, just to end um, on this note, you know, we are in this in this restrictive period with COVID-19, but what a great time potentially to encourage you and motivate you to now search out these online resources and tools to really facilitate, you know, some of the things we're missing out on in terms of being able to maintain that face-to-face -face contact with clients or maybe the workload at the moment, there is help available online um, to ho hopefully be able to help you in your practice and your delivery of, of treatment programs. So this is just a gentle reminder that uh, we've got podcasts that are recorded. So it, it ends up being a, um, a sound in on, on SoundCloud, um, a recording, but also we are uh, on YouTube as well now that we've gone on to webinars. So do check us out if you enjoyed this podcast to um, look at the previous podcast as well, where we've covered a variety of topics. And thank you for joining us tonight. Um, if you've got any questions, please do feel free to contact us on education at blackdog .org.au. I want to thank our amazing panel members tonight for a really interesting chat and some fantastic tips that hopefully um, our listeners can use 
um, to facilitate their practice um, and also maybe try out some tools that they haven't, you know, thought about trying before and just experimenting a little and and maybe potentially finding out that it does complement and and um, help more people get access um, to mental health support in the general population. So good night, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you later. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, subscribe to and review Black Dog Institute on iTunes or your preferred podcasting platform. If you're interested in knowing more about our educational programs and research, please visit our website at blackdoginstitute.org.au.